The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Lord God Almighty and Everlasting, there is none like unto thee, there is none beside thee. We bow in thy presence and acknowledge and confess that it is right that we should humble ourselves before thee and draw near to thee. We marvel that we have minds and hearts that desire to do so and attribute that desire to thy grace toward us in the name and merit of thy Son and brought to us by thy Holy Spirit. So we call thee our Father and gather to thee as thy children and thy people and as thy citizens of that endless city of which thou art the builder and the maker. Bring home to us a sense of the immense privilege of belonging to thee. Remind us that it was through thy Son being forsaken for us that we now are reconciled to thee and thee to us forever and ever. And we pray that thy people throughout the whole earth, irrespective of what city they may relate to and what culture or nation uh, they may acknowledge and appreciate, bring home to us that our citizenship is not here below. It is in heaven, and help us to live worthily of thy name, so that thou mightest not be ashamed to be called our God, having prepared for us a city. Receive our thanks and praise, and grant thy blessing, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, there's only one thing better than a psalm, and that's a psalm to a Welsh tune. I wasn't expecting to hear that tune. I haven't heard it for a long, long time. It improves the psalm. Will you turn with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 24? Isaiah chapter 24. Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be as with a people, so with a priest, as with a slave, so with his master, as with a maid, so with her mistress, as with a buyer, so with a seller, as with a lender, so with a borrower, as with a creditor, so with a debtor. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers, the world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left 
the wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of the tambourines is stilled, the noise of the jubilant has ceased, the mirth of the lyre is stilled. No more do they drink wine with singing. Strong wine is bitter to those who drink it. The wasted city is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none can enter. There is an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. All joy has grown dark. The gladness of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city. The gates are battered into ruins. For thus it shall be in the midst of the earth among the nations, as when an olive tree is beaten, as at the gleaning when the grape harvest is done. They lift up their voices. They sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. They shout from the west. Therefore in the east give glory to the Lord, in the coastlands of the sea. Give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth we hear songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. But I say, I waste away, I waste away, woe is me, for the traitors have betrayed. With betrayal the traitors have betrayed. Terror and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. He who flees at the sound of the terror shall fall into the pit, and he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows of heaven are opened, and the foundations of the earth tremble. The earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. The earth staggers like a drunken man. It sways like a hut. Its transgression lies heavy upon it, and it falls and will not rise again. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven, and the kings of the earth on the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison, and after many days they will be punished. Then the moon will be confounded, and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. Amen. May God bless to us. What I hope you sensed was a very moving piece of writing, even in translation. We have here words, singly and in combination, that draw pictures for us. And those words also, by their sounds and by their repetition, set it to music. This then is like an audio-visual display. Last week, you may remember, we described it in terms of a title of a musical composition, pieces of an exhibition. And what is exhibited, of course, is the glory and the majesty of the Lord, but in association with the Messiah. That is the meaning of, or the reference of this expression 
in or on that day which recurs through these chapters. Here is Jehovah, the covenant redeemer, intervening, asserting his authority judicially and savingly in a fallen world. It's what he did in Eden to our first parents. It's what he promised to do throughout the course of history, climactically in the appearing of his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and because of him, bringing it all to consummation, climax, climactically at the end. And Isaiah sees this redemptive plan and purpose of God imminently in vision as about to be accomplished. He sees it as a single whole, of course, that of necessity was his perspective in advance of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he describes it both in terms of salvation and judgment, final, coinciding. But in the midst of these descriptions, he uses the first person singular at times and the first person plural. He refers to himself and to the remnant of his people as to how he and they respond to this promise of divine intervention. We too, but in our time and place in redemptive history, we look forward to the coming of the Messiah. He has already come, and that should make our expectation more confident and certain. Having once come, having accomplished salvation, he will come again. And we look with expectation for his coming, and therefore we are to respond to what is said in these chapters in exactly the same terms as Isaiah the prophet and the remnant of the people in his day, as they responded, but we can do so with, as I've said, greater certainty and hopefully with greater longing, for it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and to them that look for him the second time shall he appear without sin to salvation. Now I want us to pursue the big picture once more this morning. Last week we looked at the form of these chapters. Today I want to look at their content. And just as last week we borrowed a title from the world of music, we borrow a title from the world of literature today in order to describe the content of these chapters, and this title isn't original, it's the tale of two cities. I'm not referring to Charles Dickens when I say original. Uh, this uh, expression has been used by others to describe these chapters. Here is Isaiah's tale of two cities. Now, what are these cities? Well, both are referred to in this chapter, aren't they? You noticed uh, perhaps the reference to city in the earlier part of it, and then, of course, in the final verses of it. 
where Mount Zion and Jerusalem are specifically referred to. Now, the cities that Isaiah has in mind, however, they're not Dickens cities, London and Paris, in the 18th century and the reign of terror that was about to break, nor, of course, are they New York and London in a post-9-11 world. What Isaiah is referring to here refers to those cities and all cities beside them. For what he has in view is, on the one hand, the city of man, and on the other, the city of God. Or to put a finer point on it, the city of man without God, and the city of God with man. That's the tale that he's telling. What does he have to say about the city of man? Well, it's impossible to evade the answer to that question, isn't it? Almost the entirety of this 24th chapter is saying to us that the city of man is to be destroyed. There are many references to it. Look at verse 10. The wasted city is broken down. Verse 12, desolation is left in the city. 25.2, you have made the city a heap, the fortified city, a ruin. And as you read through these four chapters, you'll find several other references. This section in Isaiah follows, doesn't it, the oracles against the nations in chapters 13 through 23. There, peoples are referred to nations, and also their capital cities. But here, in 24 through 27, the picture isn't as specific. It's more general. This is the earth that he is describing under the figure of a city. And not only the earth, terrestrially, but the world, politically. Look at verse 4. The earth mourns and withers, and then a different word. The world, the inhabited world, languishes and withers. And what he goes on to say about it indicates that here is a kind of decreation taking place, a breaking down of what has been brought into being. It's a reversal, a reversal to Genesis 1 verse 2. Because in verse 10, the ESV here has the wasted city. Hebrew is the city of tohu, formless. It's going back to the state of affairs before <coughs> excuse me, there was any order, form, beauty, before there was any life. That's what's going to happen, says Isaiah, to this earth and to this world. It's going to be thrown into reverse by the one who brought it into being. And he describes it in these emphatic ways. In verse 17, you have onomatopoeic terms. Pachath, pachath, pach, terror pit, snare. These are 
heavy, successive blows that indicate things are going to be brought to an end. And the next verse repeats them. Verse 18. And you have a verb that sounds the same introduced as well. These words sound like warpath, don't they? Pachath, pachath, pach. And that's exactly what's here. God is on the warpath. Here is holy war against the earth and the world. It's called the city of chaos. Its form is going to undergo a change. It's going to buckle. It's going to become broken-backed and helpless. Just like at the time of the flood. He uses imagery from Genesis 7. People are going to be scattered. Genesis 11. Just like the Tower of Babel. All people are going to be affected. Irrespective. Religious distinctions will be meaningless. People and priest. Social distinctions. Slave, master, maid, mistress. Economic, financial distinctions. Buyer, seller, lender, borrower, creditor, debtor. Here's the world in all its fabric. Terrestrial and socio-economic and religious. Going to undergo this Well, it seems as if it's a total destruction. We know from the New Testament it's a thorough transformation. But it's going to be cataclysmic. Like the flood. Like the Tower of Babel. All its noise and clamor will be no more. Walls battered down. Houses boarded up. All gloom, all mirth. Brought to an end. Silence. That's the city of man without God at the end. Or the city of man versus God. And we've given the reason for it, which we look at God willing next time. The New Testament is more specific, isn't it? And John picks up Isaiah's term, no more. Revelation 18, read it. The description of the world city, Babylon. No more. In one hour. Time and time again. The end. But the city of God remains. And it's significant, I think, that Isaiah doesn't use the word city very much in this section. With reference to that. He uses it once in 26.2. We have a strong city. God sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. It has gates, it has walls, it's safe. It's wonderful to live there. It's going to be a city which will never, ever be dealt with in the way in which the city of the world is dealt with. What Isaiah prefers to do, as he does at the end of this chapter, is to refer to its real name and its location. He calls it Jerusalem. And he refers to Zion. And elsewhere he talks about the holy mountain. Here is God's city. It is above 
all the upheaval and hubbub and change and decay of this present world. Isaiah refers to the Lord coming out of his place, and that's what brings about the end of the world, the world city. But when he comes out of his place, what happens? People come from the west and the east and they sing. They sing songs of praise and glory. They're gathered from north, south, east and west. An innumerable company. And they're brought into the city of God where his throne is. Where his temple is. And they enter in through the merit of Jesus Christ. And they go no more out. They're there forever. And he is their father. And they are his people. Through the Messiah. Do you belong to that city? Do you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Who suffered outside the gate. The wrath of his father. That you and I might enter into the Jerusalem which is above, the city of peace, whose builder and maker is God. May we all know the peace and comfort of belonging to him and rejoice in anticipation of seeing him face to face and dwelling with him in his glory forever. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we acknowledge that it would be right and just for us to be consumed with the world. We have no merit, no right, even to think that it's possible for us to enter into thy city and to live with thee. Thou art holy and we are sinful. We thank thee that thou art gracious and merciful and in thee life and death and resurrection of thy son thou hast opened wide the door into that holy heavenly city for all who come to thee through him we rejoice that we are citizens of thy kingdom that thy son is our elder brother we pray that we might live in this present world as those whose lives and whose souls are not bound up with the changes that take place here below and who do not fear the coming wrath seeing as Jesus has delivered us through bearing it for us. Receive our thanks and grant thy blessing on thy word. For Jesus' sake, amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.